Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in yet another sunny day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Daniel Hume, Chief Executive of Satalia. Daniel, hello. Hi, it's nice to be here. Pleasure to have you. Uh, We might as well dive straight in. Um, What does the word leader mean to you? A uh, leader for me is somebody that uh, inspires people uh, uh, beyond their intrinsic uh, motivations. Um, in, in my company, we um, we don't have any um, hierarchies or KPIs or uh, management. And so leadership for us are identifying people who are influencers, who can understand the temperature, but also change the temperature of the organization. Well, that dovetails into uh, my next question for you, which is how would you describe your leadership style? I'm very much a servant leader. Uh, in Citalia, we have almost what would be described as a, a matrix organization where we have various different ventures, people dr- driving forwards those ventures. And then we have the operating team, including myself, that support those, those ventures. Um, and whilst uh, leaders tend to make decisions that, that sometimes have a bigger impact across the organization, I would argue that those decisions should always be in service to everybody else. So there's a balance between the, the, the kind of the, the size of the impact that, that leadership have in terms of their decision making, but the decisions that they make are, are typically always in service of others. Let's go back to the very beginning of your career when you first started out in the working world. Was there any particular individual or set of circumstances that formed the way that you lead today? Um, I think that actually my upbringing as an infant uh, uh, really affected me. For, for those people out there that might have therapists or children, they might have learned about a concept called attachment theory, which is about how your upbringing as an infant affects your relationship styles as an adult. And uh, depending on how your parents were with you as you were being raised, that will, will typically determine how you form and maintain relationships as, as an adult. And some people are very anxious in relationships. Some people uh, tend to be detached. Uh, and uh, so I, I, I would argue, I probably have what you would argue as being in a, a detached attachment style where mm. I am very independent. I don't depend on other people for or caregivers for things. And, um, and, uh, and nor do I want other people to experience the same type of kind of lack of care that, uh, that, that I experienced. And so I mean, fiercely independent, but I also want other people to fear, to, to fear feel um, uh, cared for. So uh, that's how, um, that, that's what is a pro, uh, that informed my, uh, my leadership style. Well, you're in a very interesting sector. You're in artificial intelligence. Uh, can we uh, touch on that a bit? Because it's something that I think our listeners are rather curious on. That's right. So I would, I would actually argue uh, that nobody is doing AI. I have 20 years worth of background in artificial intelligence, and there's a huge amount of hype uh, in industry, in government, in the media about artificial intelligence. And I travel the world educating uh, leaders about what um, AI is and what AI isn't. And again, I would argue that AI, uh, no, that nobody's doing AI. However, I would also argue that AI is going to have the biggest impact in human, uh, on humanity than, than any technology that we have ever 
known. Um, and, uh, and so inside my company, what we're doing is we're using AI to organize ourselves in radically new ways where we don't have managers, we don't have hierarchies, we operate very much like a swarm. And my goal is to scale that model to a planet. So I want to try and create a planet where AIs facilitate people being free to work on the things that they want to work on and are fairly contributed uh, for their, for their fairly remunerated for their contribution. Uh, so technology can be a huge a tool that can have a huge positive impact. Um, uh, but we also have to make, make sure that when we're developing te- technological solutions, we're coupling that with deep human psychology. We're thinking about safety. We're thinking about dignity uh, at work. And, and we're making sure that the tools and processes and structures that we're implementing are making sure that, that people are maximizing their, their happiness in the workplace. What do you think can be done uh, right now at the moment to maximize happiness within the workplace? I think giving people freedom. So there's a very good book, uh, introductory book on motivation by a guy called Dan Pink. It's called Drive. And he said there are three things that motivate people, autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And, uh, and I would argue that there are several others, but uh, it's a good starting point. And autonomy is giving people the freedom to do what they want. Mastery is giving them the ability to become really good at what they want to do. And purpose is giving something higher to align themselves with. And I would argue that companies that are are going to be, uh, that are are going to survive over the next decade are companies that are going to have to have have an incredibly strong purpose. Um, Because if you have an incredibly strong purpose, you're going to attract talent into your organization and you're also going to attract customers. Uh, The hard part is tying the things that you do every single day, the sweeping the floor, the fixing the bugs with that bigger purpose. And actually that's the role of a leader. The, The role of the leader is to make sure to keep reminding people the things that we're doing on a day-to-day basis are actually contributing to this bigger, higher goal. Now, how would you uh, separate a good leader from a bad leader? Uh, so I think there's a lot of uh, information in the literature about about this, but um, but I would uh, um, argue that, uh, well, there, there are two types of leadership, I guess. There's the kind of the... the um, the, uh, the the chest master, the, the person that's moving the pieces, that's telling people what to do, um, that necessarily isn't giving people the right information so that they can make autonomous decisions versus the servant leader. And uh, and uh, for me, um, I'm very much a servant, servant or gardener leader. I want to produce or create an environment, an ecosystem where people have access to information. Uh, they can use that information to make the best possible decisions. Again, I would argue that what happens is that creates um, swarm like or much more agile organizations where people feel empowered, they feel responsible for the decisions that they're making. Um, and also that those organizations are more adaptable to a changing world, the traditional hierarchical organizations. Um, I think that uh, we're going to see a big change in how organizations are structured over the next decade. And I really think that a swarm like organizations facilitated by Gardner leaders is uh, are going to win out because they will be able to adapt more quickly to a changing world. And if we if we've got to Talk back uh, to, to what the definition of artificial intelligence is. That's actually a very good definition of intelligence um, that, that, that people aren't aware of, which is goal-directed adaptive behavior. Goal-directed in the sense you're trying to achieve an objective, you're trying to make profit, or you're trying to uh, produce a product or a service. Behavior is how quickly can you allocate your resources to achieve that goal. But the key word in this definition, definition is the word adaptive. I would argue that if you can build a structure, a system that adapts to a changing world, you're more intelligent than those that aren't. Moving on to a much larger uh, scope question. If I was to ask you to objectively identify the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be? 
Oh, that is a great question. Rather <laughs> um, tricky, I'm, I know. <laughs> it, is, it is tricky, but I, I'm inspired by um, people um, uh, 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 that, uh, that have uh, challenged the, um, the status quo. Uh, Ricardo Semler is, a, is a, I guess, a good example of, of that, um, where he has tried to create organizational structures without rules, um, without hierarchies. They, they um, even go so far where, where people set their own salaries um, because I think that he cares deeply about the people in the organization and hasn't let the purpose override the happiness of the employees. And what I do see, unfortunately, is organizations that are led by very often charismatic people, um, those those people often um, um, value the purpose more than the happiness of their employees, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which I think is a, a creates a, a unfortunate um, uh, consequences in organizations. So Ricardo Semler is, uh, is somebody that has inspired me in the past. Do you try and pass the lessons that you've learned from him on to your staff? Uh, very much. I mean, we we I, I look at I read a lot about leadership. I read I read a lot about um, about culture, and um, I'm not one to just take ideas and just run with them. I also have to really deeply believe them, and they have to be running through my my veins. Um, I actually spend uh, my time spreading myself across three activities. I I actually um, have an academic hat where I am um, I'm the entrepreneur in residence for UCL, which is one of the uh, most impactful um, universities in the world in AI, and uh, and I do that because I want to try to take all of the amazing stuff that happens within academia and trying to figure out how does it have the biggest positive impact in the world. Um, the second thing I do is Satalia is a vehicle for me to, to have uh, that positive impact and to introduce many of these new ideas and new concepts about how we, we structure ourselves. And finally, I do a huge amount of public speaking about um, about the impact of technology on society. So uh, what runs, runs through my veins is, is trying to inspire and educate others to think about how we can make changes that have a positive impact on the world. Now, unfortunately, our time together is very quickly drawing to its close. But what does the next 12 months have in store for for Citalia? Uh, so we are going through a very interesting transition where we're going from 120 people probably to 200 people. And I've been very cautious about how we grow this organization. But there's a concept called the Dunbar number, which is about 150 people. Once you get about just about 150 people, uh, your your organizational structures tend to change quite dramatically. So for me, I'm really interested in, in making sure that the structures that we've created, these swarm-like structures, can scale beyond the 150 mark. And that's the transition that we're going to go through over the next 12 months. Well, Daniel, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you, and I very much hope you'd come back on the program at some point in the near future so we can go much more deeply into AI. Uh, Daniel, thank you. Thank you so much. That was Daniel Hume, Chief Executive of Satalia. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me and realize that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool many, many years ago. 1962, I think that was. 
So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, that calibre, can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the calibre of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, uh, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to 
been involved in my career in those early days were two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, especially with South Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years, he it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time... At, Maybe overly strict by the time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, South so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising they were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of a group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing. In, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. so mm. I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Lee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that 
someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think Mm. I was just happy to be, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back out, mm. so I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. People talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that, that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out. The squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that I'll show. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players. Um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while and said, oh, dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and say, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, look, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey, or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now, but it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want you got time? I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in the you know, Channel Islands, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, 
when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we... That you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to come up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. Just, but then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, laugh that If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, you were a young man when this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps... Uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke, and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, uh, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches, people must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think. Some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example because Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, 
and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they uh, Ron Greenwood. Yeah, the answer, straightforward answer, is yes. Um, they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England. Who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, so many, yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And I've been going back from an earlier earlier question for me: the um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, uh, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't I'm... when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, Jeff, uh, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But if you, I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, 
you may, you know, have a, wait, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.